Welcome to Nutrition Grad Guide. I'm your host, Shana Sapi, a qualified nutritionist and multi-passionate entrepreneur. I created this podcast to help nutrition grads just like you navigate your way into a career and a life that you love. In each episode, I'm going to bring you interviews with experts in the nutrition and health field, exploring a range of different career pathways. We'll learn about what they do, how they got there, and their advice to help you grow a successful career as a nutritionist or a natural health professional. Thank you for tuning in. Today's guest is Brad Leach, who is a clinical nutritionist, a lecturer and a supervisor, and also a researcher. So Brad does a lot of incredible things in the industry, and I'm really excited to have him on talking about all of that and giving us an insight into his career. So thank you so much, Brad, for joining me today. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you. It's good to have you. Um, So to start off with, can you tell us a little bit about how you got interested in the nutrition space? Right. Um, so I got interested in the, the realm of complementary medicine at a very young age. Um, I, I dived into this at about the age of 15. Um, although, let's say, my interest and curiosity into um, all things health started many years before that with you know, health conscious uh, parents and, and grandparents who were really into Uh, let's say the yoga meditation reiki and and organic foods or uh, gluten-free foods back in back in the 80s before they were a a trend or a a hot topic Um, but it was really about the age of 15 when i really knew that i wanted to delve in deeper into the area of of nutrition and and complementary medicine Um, it was actually believe it or not by by accident i um i was i was 15 i was at school and I was, I almost wanted something more from, uh, from, from, from my schooling, from life. Um, and I had a, uh, a brochure for, a, um, for the local TAFE college up on the Sunshine Coast. And I'm looking through it um, and I'm looking through the uh, courses offered under health. And there was one particular uh, course, um, uh, an advanced diploma in Ayurvedic medicine. And I went home to, to my mother. I was like, oh, I want to do this, this, this course. She goes, all right, we'll, we'll do it. So I signed up for this advanced diploma of, of Ayurvedic medicine at 15. Wow. Now, uh, when I signed up for it, I had, I had no idea what Ayurveda was. Um, I couldn't say the word Ayurveda. <laughs> um, I just I knew it had something to do with health. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I rock up on my first day and, and I remember, I remember it as clear as day. Uh, I'm one of the only males in the class. Everyone is a middle-aged uh, female. Um, and I'm like, you know what, this is, this is really going to help me to grow up and mature. And, and I did um, because, you know, about halfway through that, um, well, no, probably let's say six months into it, we started working with clients who started using mm-hmm. lifestyle medicine and I remember, you know, it was just before my 16th birthday, I sit down with my, my very first client who was a, um, a 50-year-old a woman wanting uh, menopausal support. And here I was, I hadn't even <laughs> gone through puberty myself. Um, and from there, it just, it skyrocketed. I, I just knew that this is what I wanted to do. And, and I knew that after I completed that um, a diploma. I knew that I wanted to do a, a Bachelor of, of Nutrition. I, I wanted to really 
get as much education as I could um, to really open up my options when it comes around to, to my career later on in life. Yeah, amazing. Um, so that, that's really where it started. Yeah, I love that. At 15, that's incredible, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so it's now, you know, being, being everything that I do, you know, from, from a researcher to, you know, my own class, um, I, I kind of keep my age to myself when it comes around to working with my students yeah. because the vast majority of the time my students are actually older than me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I have to remind myself that, you know, I've, I've been doing this, oh, what year are we here? For, for over, over 10, 12 years now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've, I've got that um, years of experience behind me um, and age really is just a number when it comes around to um, uh, seeing clients. And, uh, you know, on that note, I, I remember I sat down with one of my students um, recently and, and I asked her, oh, what, what kind of challenges or barriers uh, do you see yourself facing as a clinician? And, and she goes, oh, my age. And I asked her how she was, how old she was. And she was actually older than me. Oh, wow. and, and I just, <laughs> I, I laughed. I was like, listen, you've got no problem at yeah. all. You know, if you just come into a, a consultation with that confidence, with that maturity and with that knowledge, you won't have an issue when it comes around to to your age. So yeah, yeah, age is just a number. Absolutely. And you are a great testament to that as well. Yes. Um, so tell us a little bit about where you studied after the Ayurveda course. Right. So after the Ayurveda, I, I took a year off. Um, uh, I actually, I went uh, backpacking around the world for a year oh. and that was fantastic. I, I, I actually, I've been to over 60 or 65 countries wow. now um, and I, I just put a backpack on and really got some uh, real life experience um, and then after that I, I almost I started um, my Bachelor of Health Science in Nutritional Medicine at Endeavour mm -hmm. uh, a week after I got back from from my, my trip overseas wow. I dived straight into that um, and I loved I loved my, my Bachelor of Health Science um, mm -hmm. after that I did um, I did, I did a number of things while doing that um, Bachelor of Health Science. I, I did a, a, let's say, a research internship or, or a, or a yeah, let, we'll call it a research internship over a summer period uh, where I worked with um, a few uh, researchers to write a paper. Mm -hmm. um, after the Bachelor of Health Science, I, I did my honours with Endeavour. Yeah. Um, I, did, I did my honours with, um, you actually had her on a podcast recently, Jessica Bays, a yes. dear, dear, dear friend of mine. Uh, we, we call each other our research buddies. Uh, so I did that with Jessica. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I'm doing my PhD. So I'm in my third year of my PhD. Oh, cool. Which is, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of work too, I'm sure. <laughs> a lot of work, yes. Yeah. Uh, that requires a lot of time management. Yeah. Um, but if you can schedule, you know, fit everything in, in a day and go, okay, for this part of the day, I'm going to work on my PhD and this mm -hmm. part of my day, I'm going to prep for class. It, it can be quite manageable. Yeah. Amazing. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing your PhD on, because I'm always fascinated by this and it's so necessary to have more people entering the research field. So I'm always very excited to hear from people yes, like well, you. Um, all, all the uh, nutritionists and naturopaths will, uh, they will jump for joy when, when they hear my topic. Um, my topic is on intestinal permeability. Oh, so nice. AKA leaky gut. Uh, yes. So us being clinicians, you know, we can, we can broadly say um, all disease uh, begins in the gut and, and, yeah. you know, with any uh, good 
uh, clinician, you know, they will address gut health at some point in their treatment protocol. Um, but my, my PhD, because I'm a clinician, I'm a clinician at heart, I really want to help the clinicians when it comes around to intestinal permeability. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, during my undergrad degree and even this, this research internship that I did, I really identified that there are gaps in the literature. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I was like, oh, and us as clinicians are saying that, you know, these symptoms are um, the cause or related to intestinal permeability. But there was no research to actually back it up. And I was like, oh, you know what? I want to I wanna investigate this further. But I'm not, I don't have any, let's say, uh, lab skills. So, so my university degree, you know, we, we didn't work in a lab. So mm-hmm. I can't actually do cell cultures or even animal studies you know, in that case. But I know that my strengths was the understanding of A, you know, intestinal permeability, but B, clinicians and how practitioners work and and their mind behind what they do within clinical practice Um, so my honors was focusing on what practitioners um, uh, used um, within clinical practice for the treatment and management of intestinal permeability and so I've actually stayed with that um, line of thought and that line of research and my, my, my PhD is um, designed to develop a, let's say, a clinical practice guideline for the assessment and management of intestinal permeability for practitioners in Australia. So basically, the the end goal of my PhD is to to have a booklet that we can send out to all clinicians here in Australia saying, hey, this is the latest evidence on intestinal permeability. These are the conditions that you should be uh, testing it. Uh, or or uh, measuring intestinal permeability. These are the tests you should be using. Uh, This is when you should be testing. This is how you should be treating. Um, So for those of you who aren't quite familiar with a clinical practice guideline, basically it's a standard wise, um, it it takes about a year or two to make and about a million dollars. Okay, so there's a lot of work that goes into a clinical practice guidelines. Mm-hmm. Very briefly, if you remember from, um, let's say, your research subject in your undergrad degree, you've got the hierarchy of evidence. Okay, so you've got your cell work um, at the very bottom, and then you've got case studies and case series, and, um, and then clinical trials, and then systematic reviews at the top. Now, yeah. on top of the hierarchy of evidence, you've got your clinical practice guidelines. So it's, it's at the very top. And basically what it is, is it's a giant systematic review, right? Mm -hmm. You develop these recommendations based on the literature. And then from that, you incorporate the views and preferences of major stakeholders. So you've got the consumers, so individuals with intestinal permeability. But then you've also got um, pathology companies. You've also got supplement companies and then also the practitioners. And so basically you have a group of, let's say, 20 um, stakeholders and you say hey these are my my recommendations that i've made on intestinal permeability are they appropriate have i done that right and then they give feedback and then you can make changes accordingly so then when we bring out this guideline all practitioners should actually go well hold on i agree with that all um, supplement companies and all uh, pathology companies should read it and go i agree with that because we've consulted 
with these major stakeholders. Wow. Um, so that, that's really my PhD and, and that's the end goal. Mm-hmm. So basically we've done all these little projects to get us there. So we've, we've done a, um, a systematic review looking at risk factors for intestinal permeability. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's interesting in itself. Um, we've done, uh, well, we're in the midst of um, writing up the manuscript for a study where we actually surveyed individuals with intestinal permeability. Yeah. Now, I was actually surprised when it comes around to the number of people we actually managed to get for this survey. Um, so if you look at, uh, this survey was aimed at individuals, uh, let's say adults, with suspected intestinal permeability um, living in Australia. And I had my modest researcher hat on and I said, well, you know, we, we might get 100, 150 um, over a four-month period. However, within two months, we actually managed to get almost 600 people to wow. fill out our survey, which was humongous. Um, and so we've analysed the vast majority of the data. Mm-hmm. We have, I've actually sent off uh, one manuscript to be published, and that was looking at um, health-seeking behaviours, so what, pre- uh, what these clients actually did um, and what they actually want and also uh, how much they're spending on the treatment of intestinal permeability, how much they're spending on consultation fees. Uh, and I'm now in the midst of writing up the next manuscript, which is looking more so at the treatment and what they're using and whether or not uh, they report uh, an improvement in their subjective well-being and their quality of life. So hopefully in the next few months, those manuscripts will come out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's really an overview of, of my PhD. That is incredible. It sounds like you're developing the Bible for intestinal permeability. <laughs> I, I would like to think so. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe not so much. Um, however, you know, I've been getting a number of emails from uh, researchers across Australia and, and across across um, the world actually asking my opinion and my advice. They go, oh, we are conducting this study. What are your thoughts on this study? Or what, what are the population groups that you would recommend to conduct, conduct this study on. Yeah. You know, that they, they start off, they go, oh, we, we acknowledge that you're one of the leaders in the area of, of intestinal permeability. Yeah. Um, and by all means, I'm not. Potentially, you could say I'm a leader when it comes around to intestinal permeability within clinical practice because that's yeah. my research focus. But there are many others uh, who are, are much more advanced when it comes around to let's say, the treatment of intestinal permeability because, you know, that's what they focus on. Yeah, well, you can certainly hear your passion and it sounds like you're doing incredible things. So, yeah, I commend you for that. That's fantastic. I, I, I do love what I do. It's, it's yeah, great. yeah, you can really tell it's fantastic and so helpful to so many people as well. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, amazing. So tell us a little bit more about um, the education side of your career. Right. Um, well, education is really, um, okay, yes, my, my research topic of passion is intestinal permeability. Yeah. Um, but my, my passion for, let's say, going into the future and now is mm-hmm. teaching. Yeah. I, I love teaching. It is, it is my pride and joy. Whenever, I, whenever it's a, a day that I'm going into class, I'm, I'm always excited. I, I get up nice and early. I review all my slides and, and I yeah. go in. Um, but the history of um, teaching. So I've always done, let's say, presentations. 
Yep. So uh, I, I started off doing guest lecturing um, at at a number of different um, uh, universities, TAFEs and colleges around the place, a number of, let's say, co health conferences uh, mm -hmm. to kind of build up my um, public speaking skills. Yeah. Um, it was actually by accident that my career in teaching actually started. Okay. Um, one of my um, uh, PhD supervisors was like, hey, there's, there's a job opening um, up at endeavor yep. send off your resume so I, so I sent off my resume and you know i started off with with the basic subjects and then worked off uh, worked up to the more advanced final year subjects and and now um, i'm actually a, a clinical supervisor and mm -hmm. i tell you it is it is my joy walking in into um uh, the endeavor college as a clinic supervisor it is a lot of fun yeah. it is it draws on that the clinical skills, my research skills, uh, communication skills, where you can sit down and you can, you can say, hey, I, I've been in your shoes. I know the challenges you're facing. Um, here are the ways to get around it. Um, and that's a lot of fun. So that's one element of um, what I do for, for teaching. And the other element is I work at um, the University of Technology, Sydney, as a as subject coordinator for a nutrition subject there. Um, and that particular one, yet again, um, one of my PhD supervisors sent me an email saying, hey, Brad, um, there's this opportunity, you put your name up for it. Um, and, and I did. And it's such a great opportunity to be a, a subject coordinator. So for, for those of you who may not be aware, so a lecturer basically just lectures what they get given, okay? Yep. Where the subject coordinator will actually go, okay, these are the aims and objectives of our subject. And, and then they will actually create the material in which the lecturers will use to teach it. Um, so it's actually, it's almost, you, you have this, this power where you can actually bring and update the lecture slides. I'm sure we've all sat in, in a lecture and we're looking at, at a reference on the slide and it's like, that's from 1990. <laughs> Isn't there any updated research? So when I came on um, as the subject coordinator for, for this subject, I was able to completely re-ramp um, re it, you know, update all of the information um, to A, make it more relevant to now and make it more accurate. And so that was a lot of fun um, yeah. doing that. Uh, a lot of hard work. Yeah, um, I can imagine. Definitely, uh, definitely an area where I see myself continuing on yeah. in that area of a, a subject coordinator. Yeah. And for that role, do you find that your research skills and having done the honours and now the PhD is really beneficial when it comes to updating that information in the slides? Yes, I, I, I couldn't do it. I yeah. couldn't update the slides effectively mm -hmm. unless I've had that, I wouldn't say research skills, but that further education. Yeah. Unfortunately, yes, a bachelor is a start and yeah. that was great, but you really need um, further education, whether it be an honours, whether it be a master's yeah. um, to kind of advance that thinking. Um, I, I see this with um, A, my own students, but and then also B, my own experience. Mm -hmm. But those of, the, those of um, students who have previously done uh, a diploma or bachelor in health science, whether it be herbal medicine or Ayurveda or, or, or any of those, 
then go on to do another bachelor in let's say nutrition Mm -hmm. you actually absorb and understand so much more so hypothetically if you had a bachelor in health science and then went on to do a master's let's say at deakin university Mm -hmm. you would actually understand it at a deeper level and then when it comes around to the role of a a subject coordinator be able to to uh, update it more accurately in a more scientific perspective if that makes sense yeah absolutely so when you are working there doing the subject coordination what does that look like so will you spend time reading research and updating the um, slides and things or what exactly are you doing while you're there what would that look like um (laughs) (laughs) might be a hard question Um, a lot of things There are a lot of things. Um, the first of all is to to look at the subject and go, okay, what are the goals of the subject? What are we trying to teach the students? What um, what degree are the students in? So yeah. my students at UTS, they're in a Bachelor of Health Science. Mm-hmm. Um, so very broad, and this is their only um, nutrition subject. So realistically, it's a very basic subject. Mm-hmm. But just because it ba- it's basic doesn't mean it needs to skip over important details. Of course. Now I can, I've, I've introduced some, you know, almost final year Bachelor of Health Science nutrition um, theories and, and concepts within their, their lecture mm-hmm. to get them thinking. Um, you know, for, for instance, um, we we're talking about um, uh, health across a lifespan and I introduced the concept of the the thousand day theory where the first thousand days of life can really govern the the health and disease that someone may get you know later on in life um maybe it might go over the head maybe it doesn't um but what it looks like on a day-to-day basis you know yes this is this concept of being a subject coordinator it takes up about one maybe one and a half days of my week um and i'll get let's say the, the old lecture slides and I'll look over it and I'll go, all right, what needs to be updated? What is correct? What is incorrect? But then also on that point is someone else has created these slides. So the previous subject coordinator, yeah, based on what they are experienced in. Mm-hmm. And so where I can, I will actually add in areas where I'm experienced. So then I can portray and, and give knowledge in what I'm highly educated in yeah rather than trying to scope over it very broadly mm-hmm. um updating the references of course but then also structuring it going okay what are some of the the complementary readings that we can actually give to the students to enhance their their understanding um yeah. and so that's that's a lot of fun and then developing um the assignments developing the exams you know it's this fine line um between making the exam too difficult and too hard um you really want to hit that middle ground where you know it is a slightly challenging but not too difficult yeah yeah amazing it sounds like a really interesting role and it would be so cool being sort of at the front edge as well and having so much power over what goes into the content It would be hard, though, as you mentioned, with just one subject for nutrition for that course. It would be so hard deciding what goes into that because there's so much you could go over. It it, it is. Um, I know. I remember when I did my my bachelor's, we spent, what was it, three hours on vitamin C. That was just, you know, let's say foundations (laughs) of human nutrition. That was just, okay, one. But then we touched on it 
for three years after that. Yeah. Um, but for these students, there's one slide on vitamin C. Wow. So it's like, all right, I can, I can only make four points on vitamin C. Yeah. What are those points going to be? Um, yeah. And how can I change their mindset and thinking um, to be more accurate or, or updated? You know, simple things like fats. So mm-hmm. a lot of, let's say, the lay public, even individuals who are doing a Bachelor of Health Science but not necessarily in nutrition, yeah, they don't have the information and the knowledge that we do as nutritionists. So we need to find that, make that fine line of saying, "Hey, fats aren't bad. It depends on the type of fat." Um, yeah. And I, luckily, I get two slides to try and, <laughs> and betray that that, uh, that that message. Oh wow, that's quite funny. So, how do you find it as being the subject coordinator there and then being a lecturer at Endeavor? Do you find there's times where you're going through the content and teaching those courses at Endeavor and wanting to change things? <laughs> um, listen, you can call me the rebel of Endeavor. Um, <laughs> so I, my, my students will know. <laughs> Um, I, I, no, I wouldn't overly change things, yeah. but I would highlight things. Yeah. I, I look at all of the teachers I've had. I've had oh, 50, maybe, maybe 50 teachers over, over the different uh, courses and degrees that I've done. Yeah. And you look back and go, what makes a good teacher? Mm-hmm. Now, we, we've all been in that situation where we've had that monotone teacher who will just read off the slide. And you, you, you rock up to one lecture and it's like, no, I'm not yeah. going to come, come over again. Yeah. And I remember one lecturer uh, many, many years ago, I think her name was Michelle, um, and she taught us anatomy and physiology. Mm-hmm. And she used colour in her slides. So she had, you know, her, her lecture slides, but then she would highlight, okay, this is important or put things in bold. And so before every lecture that I do at Endeavour, I would go through the slide and go, okay, what should the students get out of it? You know, sometimes there's like two paragraphs on one slide. What are the key details that are really important to get out of this? Highlight it in red, make it bold, and really emphasize this is the point that we're trying to get across. Um, And so that's what I'll do. And sometimes I'll even add in extra images. So, you know, when we're trying to explain particular nutritional biochemical pathways, add in an additional image mm-hmm. to explain it, to complement your, your teaching style. Yeah. Um, and, and there's no, there's no rules uh, in the teaching rule book on, on what you can and can't do in regards to that. Yeah. Um, as long as you're sticking to a criteria of this is what the students should be taught. Um, yeah. It's quite great that you, you have the opportunity to do that. Yeah, definitely. And it is fantastic how your roles really complement each other in that way as well. Mm, mm, they, they do. And, and some days um, I'll use it to my advantage. You know, if I teach um, uh, nutritional assessment um, at uh, UTS one day, the mm-hmm. following day I'll go, all right, everyone in clinic, let's go over how to calculate your BMI, how to calculate your waist to hip circumference and, and so forth. So utilise what I prepped for the day before in my uh, clinic classes so yeah. then you're not doubling up on, on on work yeah amazing and what subjects do you teach at endeavor at the moment alongside supervising clinic obviously which ones um, are the ones you're lecturing for 
so 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 technically at this current moment i don't teach anything oh, true. um <laughs> as we're doing this podcast um we, we all know coronavirus is taking a massive hit on a number of uh different businesses and um yeah. endeavor being an, an education uh facility that requires students to come into class and and a number of uh, uh clinical subjects yeah, uh, we've actually all been, let's say, um, stood down for the moment while yeah. this coronavirus is is coming into play. Yeah. Um, but once coronavirus is over, we'll go back to our usual uh, teaching. Yeah. Um, and so at the moment, you know, I'm doing uh, clinic um, uh, clinic supervising, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did do uh, foundations of human nutrition last semester, um, yeah. and also. Um, uh, nutrition research physiology it's a research subject where you've got to write a, a systematic review and I love that subject yeah um, mainly because um, at the end of it I'm actually working with a number of the students you know who I had last year mm-hmm. to get their systematic review published oh fantastic um, which is which is a great opportunity to get these students um, uh, to actually become published authors yeah for, um, they actually graduate um, uh, their bachelors. Yeah, amazing. And it makes sense that you're teaching a research subject as you're going into, like you're doing research as well. <laughs> yes, it, it, yeah. it goes hand in hand. <laughs> yeah, it does. The two. Yeah, all your things are so interwoven. I think that's so fascinating and yeah, really convenient. Yeah. It is, it is. Yeah. Um, so how does the lecturing compare to the supervisor role that you have at Endeavour? How does it compare? My mother once said that I was born to be on a stage. Um, So I will always love lecturing and and I do. It's a lot of work um, because because I want to ensure that the content I'm teaching is right, because I want to ensure that it's engaging um, and that the students leave the classroom with an understanding of what the topic is about mm-hmm. i spend about 10 hours prepping for a three-hour lecture wow. um, from a economical perspective um, that significantly uh, reduces uh, your income because you get you get paid to do a lecture and not prep if that yeah. makes sense um, but I'm, I'm more than happy to spend 10 hours prepping for a lecture because a that improves my own skills mm-hmm. and then it means that the students get the best education that they can yeah. um, comparing that to clinic uh, clinic i walk in i go okay what are the who are the students or who are the clients we're, we're seeing today yeah it's a lot more go 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 mm-hmm. um, something that i love and something i can do with that multitasking going okay I have uh, three students seeing clients at the moment. They're due out in 10 minutes, 15 and 20. I've yep. really got to have that time management. Um, some days I enjoy uh, the clinic supervising because that, that draws on a different uh, uh, skill set that I have. Yep. Other days I enjoy lecturing because it's like, all right, let's, let's delve deep into this topic and try and understand it. Yeah, wow. That's really cool. Um, so you just mentioned different skill set for supervising. What would you recommend to anyone who did want to go down the education or clinical supervisor pathways? What are some skills they are going to need? Okay, first of all, 
uh, further education. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you, you, you can't just rock up um, to any college and say, hey, I want to be a, a clinic supervisor if you've just got a Bachelor of Health Science. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't quite work like that. So further education, that is a must. Mm-hmm. Further education, A, in your, your topic, so whether it be nutrition, great, mm-hmm. or even furthering out to do in herbalism or naturopathy or, or another area of complementary medicine to um, really uh, bounce off from one another. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's one element. The other element in regards to to skills is just clinical skills. You you need a minimum five years um, clinical experience because otherwise, you know, you are the student's um, go-to person to answer these questions. Yeah. And... At the end of the day, the students are seeing a client under your supervision. If anything mm-hmm. goes wrong, it comes back to me as the uh, clinic supervisor. Yeah, you know, I've put down my 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 insurance. I've put down my liability and and so forth. So if anything goes wrong, it comes back down to me. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not a hundred percent sure that the student is prescribing the right treatment then that could actually be detrimental to A, the patient's health, but then B, me as a practitioner. So knowing when you go in there to be able to uh, have that clinical experience of going, okay, we have a client that's presenting with X, Y, and Z. You've got to be able to go, okay, what are the three or five questions that you need to know to ensure that the treatment that the student has prescribed is going to work or is, is going to be safe. Uh, yeah. So definitely the two things are further research or further studies and education yeah. and then also that clinical experience. Yeah, brilliant. And how about for just lecturing? Because that would be a bit different to supervisor or still pretty similar? Um, it is the, the difficult thing or the, the, the area where it differs yeah. is your upstage, your, your onstage talking generally for three hours. Yeah. Um, what I learned is uh, to have um, uh, lo- lozenges, so cough lollies uh, yeah. in, your, in your bag. Because I tell you <laughs> at about that one and a half hour mark, your, your voice starts to get a bit croaky. Yeah. And so they're, they're handy. So yes, um, maybe buy <laughs> stocks in, in those. It's a great um, tip. <laughs> it goes a long way. Yeah. But you've got to start off with <laughs> other areas. So um, uh, approaching podcasts to yeah. say, hey, can I be on your show? to be able to continue talking time in, time out uh, is a skill in its own. Um, uh, Presenting at health conferences, Mm -hmm. whether or not it's a very small health conference or if it's a very large health conference, get in there and present. Whether it's presenting um, a case study, you know, you've had a client with X, Y, and Z, you've used this treatment. Presenting, those skills go a long way. If someone wanted to get into lecturing, um, I'll, I'll give you a good tip. And it's to actually contact uh, subject coordinators of subjects that you would be interested in teaching at the universities around where you live. Okay. You send them an email and say, hey, this is who I am. Do you have any guest lecturing positions available? Mm-hmm. Okay. This comes with no pay, right? But myself as a subject coordinator, if someone messages me saying, hey, I would like to, to lecture one of your lectures, 
mm-hmm. for me, I'm like, oh, good, that's one less lecture <laughs> I need to give. Yeah. Um, but then for them, they get experience. And that's yeah. something they can put on their resume, guest lecturer at this university, guest lecturer at that university. Um, so that goes a long way. Yeah. Another tip that has really helped me in regards to, let's say, teaching or talking for a very long time, especially <laughs> when um, you, uh, the students are on their laptop, you know, you're almost talking to, to, their, to the, the back of their screens, is to do, let's say, Facebook Live videos where yeah. you are just talking um, uh, constantly. Uh, so that's yeah. a, another area or, or another element which I've done, which has really complemented my my, te- my teaching skills. Yeah, incredible. And is that how you built up your skills? Because you're obviously a very engaging speaker. Even just listening to you now, you can tell you're a fantastic educator. So was that through practice or are there any other um, tips you have for people who are looking to broaden their public speaking skills? So before I got my official role as as a lecturer, I had mm-hmm. probably spent, oh, I want to say 30 hours on the stage. And that is either um, doing my own kind of, you know, workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've done a number of workshops, you know, many years ago. Yeah. I don't actually, I don't have time to do workshops <laughs> these days. Um, or, or, or presenting at a conference or mm-hmm. presenting um, at a health event, whether it be, you know, you've got small health events that you can, you can present at. Uh, yep. So I think I had about 30 hours before I actually uh, managed to get, to get a job as, as a lecturer. Yeah. Wow. Well, it all worked in your favour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doing really well. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your clinical nutrition role as well, because we've touched mm. on the other ones. I don't know how you do so much and we'll have to talk about how you do manage everything, but tell us a little bit about, um, yeah, the clinical nutrition side too. Okay. Right. So of, of course, like, like most, um, um, graduating naturopaths and nutritionists, I have that passion for working with clients yeah. and I see myself working with clients for, for many, many years to come on a part-time basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I, I was actually, as I mentioned earlier, I was actually seeing clients at about the age of, of, of 15, 16. Yeah. Um, and you know, I saw them throughout doing my degree at Endeavor because I had that, I was technically already a practitioner doing Ayurvedic medicine. Yeah. Um, and so I've been seeing clients for, for many years now as unfortunately some, uh, some students, they, um, they, they finish their degree and they think that they're going to have a income solely on seeing, seeing practitioners or seeing clients. But as, as we both know that that's not the case, you're not going yeah. to be booked back to back Monday to Friday with, with patients. Yeah. And I knew that because I'd already been seeing patients up until the time I graduated, um, with my bachelor's. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, you know what, I'll do this online. I'll continue on study. Mm-hmm. So I actually because I didn't know where I wanted to be based, Mm -hmm. I, from the get-go, made my entire clinical practice online. And you know what? It's been the best thing I've done. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a different skill set to actually uh, treating and and seeing a client online. Um, And that goes a long way. Um, And even now, if you look at at where we are in the the COVID-19 crisis, the vast majority of practitioners, I, I see it all over my Facebook, 
um, they, they, they're now saying um, online consultations available. So now all these um, practitioners are now offering online consultations. And I'm like, oh, I've, I've been doing this for years. Yeah. Um, and it is a great skill set because, because I, I, I focus on autoimmune disease. You know, mm-hmm. I, I chose my, my niche, my area that I wanted to focus on, which was autoimmune disease. Yeah. And because I've been publishing research and I've published a number of uh, book chapters uh, in this area, I've become, let's say, quite known for the management of autoimmune diseases. Mm-hmm. I see clients all around um, Australia and internationally. So I've got, um, this week alone, I've seen, actually, no, it's only Tuesday. So last week, I saw a client um, here in New South Wales, one in Victoria. I saw one uh, in, um, I think it was Malaysia. Wow. But I've seen clients in, in India and, and um, there was one in Vietnam. That was an interesting one. It, it is challenging to uh, be a practitioner, especially in uh, different cultures. Yeah. So let's say Vietnam, that was a very difficult consultation because it's like, all right, what did you have for breakfast? And then they go, oh, I had, um, what was it, pho? You know, noodles and, and, and chicken. I'm like, okay, yeah. you didn't have a green <laughs> smoothie like the rest of my other clients did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that's quite tricky. And then also when it comes around to prescribing, uh, let's say, supplements mm-hmm. uh, into these uh third world countries can be quite tricky but you find a way you know you go okay what is available around you go tell me what is down in your local health food shop or your local pharmacy and I can recommend what you have available there yeah Um, so that's that's my area in regards to being a, a practitioner online yeah so what advice would you have for the practitioners who are trying to move their clinic online during this time with the pandemic uh have a really good intake form Mm -hmm. that you can send out a intake form which is user friendly yeah um which is no more than four pages long yeah i tell you no client wants to be filling out you know i've I've seen intake forms where they're 30 pages long Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, wow, that's that's A, for the practitioner to read it, but then B, for the client to actually write it up. Yeah. So a really good user-friendly um, intake form goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, I mean, one thing is pay. Let's, let's, well, I'll come to pay in a moment. But the other thing is the areas that you would normally do face-to-face. Mm-hmm. So get them to take a photo of their tongue of their eyes, of their nails, of their face. So then you still have this visual concept, okay? Yeah. Make sure you ask them for their body weight so then you can calculate their BMI so then you, you've got an idea of, of, uh, of their weight and their risk or the diseases that they may be in, at an increased risk of. Yeah. Um, excuse me, I mentioned um, um, payment. Now, mm. this is something that has actually hit me only once because after that time I changed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a client, uh, I think it was in India, um, and it came around to the end of the consultation and I said, hey, you know, I'll send you an email with a link and you click on it and you can pay for the consultation there. Yeah. And um, he said, he goes, oh, um, I thought I would uh, pay for the consultation if I saw improvement. Oh. 
And I was like, no, generally you pay for a consultation um, after you've had your appointment. And so there was that culture difference. Yeah. Um, And and then he goes, so how much was the consultation? I said, oh, it's this much. And then he goes, oh, how much is that in rupees? And I said, oh, it's it's this many rupees. And he goes, oh, that's my month's income. And then my heart just drops. I'm like, how am I, how am I going to, you you can't ask Mm. someone to pay their month's income for an hour's consultation. It's it's not right for me. So, you know, I gave a a massive, massive, massive discount. I think I ended up asking for for $10, not money for myself, but that exchange, because whenever you give a consultation, there's that exchange of energy and yeah. in return that, that there should be that, let's say, payment in return. Yeah, so that commitment too. Yeah. He, he, he never ended up paying it. So I was like, oh, you know what? No. <laughs> yeah. So I say my, my rule is for international clients, mm-hmm. uh, 50% deposit. Yeah. Consultation. And that's, I think that's quite a fair thing to ask and I've been doing that now for uh, a year or two mm-hmm. I've never had anyone say I don't want to pay a 50% deposit they're actually quite happy to to pay that to secure their consultation yeah brilliant that's a really good tip so do you still do your payments that way where you send people a link aside from the 50% upfront deposit obviously but do you get the balance upon completion Upon completion, yep. So yep. I'll uh, send them uh, after the consultation. I'll write up their treatment plan. Yeah. Uh, I'll put it into a nice, nice P- uh, PDF document. It's got a nice heading. It's got nice yep. fonts. It's very clear. Um, I'll attach that into the email, and then I'll, I'll also say that um, you would receive an email from. I use a company called. Um, can we say companies? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I use a company called Vitally, um, and you should receive the, an email from them soon. Um, and then at the very end, I was like, the consultation fee is this much and you can pay for it here. And I make sure that I don't just click in the link. So I use a program called Square, uh, which generates invoices and they're fantastic. Um, a tip that I will give on Square is if you're new to signing up on it, post on your Facebook page saying, Hey, does anyone have a Square account? Mm -hmm. Because what they can do is they can actually give you a link, which gives you, um, I think it's like uh, you save money on it on oh, processing great. fees yep. for the first two or three months. Yeah. Um, and so what I do is I make sure that where they where it says here to actually pay for the consultation, it's just the word here rather than the link, so it doesn't look dodgy. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Oh, good yeah. tips. Yeah, amazing. Um, okay, so now let's talk a little bit about how you balance all these different things. <laughs> what are your tips to people who do? want to have multiple because obviously when you are going down the clinical nutrition path as you mentioned it doesn't happen overnight you need to build that up so you're going to have to find something else to keep Mm -hmm. a steady income coming in so yeah tell us a little bit about how you manage all these things and your advice for others to do the same okay um i'm i'm a very organized and very structured person and it's like okay it may be a Monday and I may be in quarantine. I can't leave my house, but the alarm goes off at six o'clock. It's like a work day. Yeah. Um, two pieces of, pieces of advice is yes, have a good calendar yeah. in your calendar block out. Okay. This is where I'm going to do uh, my, my PhD. This is where I'm going to be teaching. This is where I'm seeing clients really block out areas of this is the time I'm allocating to that. 
Yeah. In addition to that, I use a app and it's, I think it's called work or I, I typed in into the app store, just like timesheet and yeah. everything I do, I monitor how much time I spend on it. So at the okay. moment, my clock is running on, 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 on that particular category. So I've got different yeah. categories. I've got teaching, I've got research, I've got clinical practice, I've got admin, all these different areas. Cool. So then at the end of the week, I look at it and it shows me how many hours I spend on each area yeah. and how many hours in total. Uh, sometimes I look at it and I'm like, oh, 60, 70 hours. I'm like, oh, I need I need a holiday. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it really, it really goes, okay, I am still giving 40 hours a week to my PhD. Yeah. I'm still giving 20 hours a week to, to teaching. I'm still giving 20 hours a week to, to, to seeing clients. And yeah. that just kind of reassures that you are staying on track in regards to the allocation of your time. Yeah, incredible. And I think doing something like that would be really beneficial when it comes to not spending a lot of time just sitting there scrolling on social media and things because I, I notice once I start to track my time, you really do see all the little pockets where you sort of are just wasting time and where that can go and you can replace it with something else that needs to be done. Yes, I, I learnt um, and I got onto this probably about two years ago. There's a, a plugin that you can use for Chrome where you yep. can actually block websites. And I've put, mm -hmm. I put in Twitter, I put in Facebook, you know, all of the YouTubes and all of that. Yep. And when I sit down, uh, you know, eight o'clock, I go block and I'll put the timer. So and then it will block until about seven or eight o'clock um, at night. Yep. So and then I can't be distracted. And yeah. then I've gone a step further on that where on my phone, I've actually put in limits on how much mm -hmm. I can spend in each area. Yep. So uh, listen, I'm still, I'm still a human. I still yeah. use Snapchat, um, yeah. but I've, I've allocated 10 minutes a day. That's all yeah. I can spend on Snapchat. And after oh, wow. that, um, I can't actually access it. I've got to put in a code. Now <laughs> I don't know that code, but my partner knows the code. Yeah. Um, and that goes for, for Facebook and, and everything else. I limit how much time I, I can have on these distractions in life yeah wow i'm really impressed by your commitment <laughs> that's brilliant um so tell us a little bit about how all of this fits into a typical day if you have a such thing as a typical day <laughs> there's a typical week um yeah. not necessarily a typical day um but most days it's 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 up at six and it's exercise yeah you have to do that exercise yeah. um i know that in the coming days um, Sydney will go into this complete lockdown where where you only be allowed out once a day for you know exercise and 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 I'll maintain that routine of going out. Um, yeah. So that um, is is one element of my day, and then of course breakfast. And, mm -hmm. You know, don't skip breakfast. Yeah. Um, and then it's it's dive straight into it. I generally start off with checking my emails. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, because I'm with different universities, I've got I've got teaching i've got my own clinic i've got um on my junk email i've got five or six email accounts open on my, <laughs> on my computer at one time and so wow. i'll start off the day I'll, I'll check all my emails and then i'll write a list yep. and i actually use a um uh it's, a, it's an app on my computer on my mac called microsoft task i okay. believe yep. um and you put in all the tasks that you need to do for that day um, mm -hmm. and then once you've done it it 
it, it sends off this nice ding. It's this fantastic <laughs> joy sound that I get. And I just, you know, brightens my day whenever I hear it because it's like, yes, I've completed a task. Yeah. Um, there is no typical day. It's mm -hmm. uh, okay. What am I going to do? What do I need to do? And how much time am I going to allocate to that yeah. task? Generally, I will, I focus a lot better in the morning. So I will, um, have my writing in the morning. So when I really need to uh, conceptualize the results of my research uh, into to writing what it means to the greater world of, of research, I'll do that in the morning. Yeah. It comes around to things which I get excited about, which I can do a little fatigue, such as um, going over and prepping for teaching because that's a different topic it's it's different each week it's not the same same like sometimes a, a phd can be that way yeah. i'll do that in the afternoon where i get that you know a little bit of afternoon fatigue so then it kind of mixes things up yeah nice one it's yeah sounds like a good way to manage it you do have to be very organized and yeah sounds mm. like you're on top of that mm. yeah brilliant so what do you attribute your success to to date contribute my success um attribute, yeah Yes, uh, luck. Luck? <laughs> I, I know that may sound silly, but I, I have a saying and it goes, success is when oppor uh, opportunity meets preparation or mm -hmm. something along those lines. Yeah. Um, and, and I've been preparing my whole career for everything I'm doing now. Yeah. All the opportunities from from my PhD, from, from teaching, from, from everything I do, happened by coincidence, happened because of luck, but it wouldn't have happened in the first place if I hadn't been preparing for it for so many years. Yeah. So let, let's say luck is, is really <laughs> on my side when it comes uh, to these opportunities and, and success. Yeah, yeah, you should definitely need to give yourself credit for that, though, because as you mentioned, you are doing the work, you are putting in that preparation. So when the opportunity mm. comes along, you are able to step into that. Um, so, yeah, definitely don't, um, as I suppose, give your power away there because, yeah, you've earned what you've created. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's really cool how it has all lined up like that. Yeah, love it. Um, and what is your vision for the future? What are you working towards at the moment? Uh, vision. So yes, a PhD. I would mm -hmm. really like to finish that PhD. Um, yeah. And the vision for that is we've actually uh, in the midst of launching and creating um, a society. It's called SIP Research. So okay. Society of Intestinal Permeability Research. Yeah. We basically a one-stop shop for all things intestinal permeability for clinicians. Yeah. So it'll be where we will share the guidelines for my PhD mm -hmm. um, and we'll also have interactive training videos for um, practitioners to get further education on intestinal permeability, but yeah. then also handouts that uh, practitioners can actually use to give to their patients who may actually have uh, this intestinal permeability. So that's where I'm heading to, let's say in the short term, yeah. long term, I see myself, um, it's called a, a postdoc position at mm -hmm. a university where you do, <coughs> excuse me, um, 20 or 40% research and 60% teaching. Amazing. Yeah, that sounds great. Sounds like the perfect role for you as well. Yeah, 
that. So something I hopefully um, the uh, economy will get back on track and universities will, will open and I'll be able yeah. to do a combination of, of yes, still um, seeing clients, but definitely teaching and researching. Yeah, beautiful. Um, and what would you say one mindset shift that is necessary for people for a successful career? That you are good enough. Mm-hmm. That you, you just need to accept that you have the understanding, the skills and the knowledge that to overcome that fear of that you're not good enough. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that is powerful and an important message because I think that is one of the most common um, things that hold people back, thinking they're not enough or even comparing ourselves to other people who we think they're enough, but we're not. Um, So, yeah, I think it's really important that you mention that. That's really good advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And if you could recommend one book for every listener to read, what would it be and why? One book. Um, <laughs> you, you do know you're, you're talking to someone that loves to read. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Making it listen, hard for you. <laughs> can, I, can I give two books? You can, yes. Okay, so <laughs> one would be um, Dirty Jeans by Ben Lynch. Yeah. Okay, um, because I, well, I think we can all agree that personalised medicine and epigenetics is going to be the way of the future and Definitely. it's a great introduction book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's another book called Healthy Home, Healthy Family mm-hmm. by Nicole Bringering, Bring, Boljamar, Boljamar. Sorry, not sure about her surname. She's um, an environmental, she's doing a PhD in, let's say, mold and, and mold toxicity and environmental toxicity. Mm-hmm. The reason I say that one is because us as nutritionists and naturopaths, yeah. We have the skills on um, uh, vitamins, minerals and herbs and so forth, but there's other elements of health that we need to consider and that is our environment. That is the, the Wi-Fi, that is the mould, that is the, the paint on our walls and all, the, all of these elements yeah. that we weren't taught but play such a crucial role in the health of our clients. Absolutely, yeah. That sounds really interesting. Um, I'll pop links to both of those books in the show notes as well for anyone listening. So you can find them on the website. Um, Well, this has been an incredible episode, Brad. You've provided so much amazing advice and knowledge and experience. Do you have any parting words of advice or wisdom for the listeners today? Um, Undertake further research and further studies. I can't emphasize that enough. Once you finish your bachelor's, decide, okay, what am I going to do next? Mm-hmm. and do further education. Uh, yeah. I, I believe that if you've got the education, the opportunities will come. Yeah. And all you have to do is go out and make that step, whether or not you advance and become a dietitian, whether or not you do a, a master's in, in any area, yeah. further education is essential. Yeah, brilliant. Um, and where can the listeners find you and follow along your journey? Uh, right, so the best place would be my website, which is yep. uh, bradleach.com. That's L-E-E-C-H. And that has links to all of my research that I've um, published and all of my educational videos and podcasts I've been uh, featured on. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Brad. This has been great and it's been such a pleasure to have you on today. So thank you for joining me. It's been great chatting with you. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I feel like I gained so much valuable insight and advice from it and I hope you agree. 
If you did enjoy this episode, please leave me a review and tell me what you think. I would love to hear your feedback. Do you know anyone else that this episode can benefit? I would be so grateful if you share it with them. That way, they too can benefit from all of the insight that we covered today. Your support means so much to me, and together we can help even more people build a career and a life that they love. Thank you for being here. Until next time, keep making your dreams a reality. Thank you.